0: Jack Helsill of the Philadelphia Daily News wrote that this film touches the funny bone by focusing on familiar fare The kind of experiences that most people in the audience may have experienced in their own lives The New Yorker's Pauline Kael griped that you can still feel the stage origins of this material And the director leaves pauses for laughs that don't come and Pittsburgh Post Gazette critic Wynne Fanning raved that this delightful comedy has all the lightness of a feather and brings to the theater audience the same comfortable feeling that all is well with the world. On this episode of Rude Childhoods, we decide the fate of Barefoot in the Park.
1: re re -re 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 reboot
0: Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I have been looking forward to saying that for several weeks now. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm one of the hosts of this program. My brother John is the other host. Say hi, John. Hi. How you doing? Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who, who have listened to us, you may be aware we're coming back from a bit of a hiatus.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that it was a, just kind of a, a perfect storm of busyness going on on both of our ends. And, uh, I know that I watched the movie of the episode long before, uh, we even recorded the last episode. So I hope that I can, uh, brush off the old memories and, uh, and be able to talk about it coherently. Uh, but that's, we'll get there. We'll get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, of course. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll, uh, the, our today, today's feature barefoot in the park. We will, we will certainly get to that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We're of course in the, in the middle of our kind of like unplanned Robert Redford. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, we're, we we uh, don't really a nice really...
1: spread of red. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. Uh, yeah. So, and they were going going back going back quite a ways uh, in terms of Mr. Redford's career.
1: Yeah, but so. before we do that, oh yes, Dan, you see any good movies lately,
0: John? I'm so glad you asked because normally I I my answer for this question is lame, and it's like, oh, I caught 15 minutes of this or yeah. i know i watched like i watched the movie we're talking about and like LA Confidential for the 20th time mm-hmm. uh it, it's one of my few kevin spacey cheats uh oh really i have a couple of kevin spacey cheats uh because otherwise i i just look at him For yeah, me
1: it's baby driver
0: Yeah no nah. Yeah i i it's it's for me it's LA Confidential Usual suspects, though I haven't. It's been quite some time yeah. since I watch it, and I would probably watch Seven.
1: Yeah, uh, I I have watched Seven since uh the news broke.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but nothing like nothing twenty first century. It's all right. It's all nineties for me. Oh, all right. I would probably I I wouldn't object to watching See No Evil, Hear No Evil because he's in it.
1: <laughs> Is he in
0: that? He's the bad guy in it. He does like an awful British accent. It's, it's isn't
1: there. Okay. Isn't there a movie that I'm pretty sure we've covered on, wait a second. Was he in, Uh, was he in quick change? He was in a movie where he plays a very
0: no Tootsie. Oh, you're thinking of Tootsie? Wait, work, Tootsie? working girl. He has no, because we didn't. We haven't done do work working
1: girl. girl. Isn't but he in Tootsie similar. briefly or something? As like a, or he's like a, a purse thief on a subway or something like that.
0: Are you thinking of Sylvester Stallone in Bananas? No, I didn't know if you were just like confusing um, artists that you can no longer separate the art from the artist for because of all of the terrible allegations.
1: <laughs> uh, I, now I'm going to look it up because I'm I feel referring like it's to Woody like, Allen, of course. Right, I feel like it's his first on-screen role. Uh, Maybe and... so. Anyway, John, while you look oh, that up, it was Heartburn, which we didn't cover.
0: Oh no, right. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, so anyway, Heartburn, uh, not one of the movies I've seen recently, but I have been I have been catching some some recent films, most notably Everything, Everywhere, All at Once.
1: Oh, what'd you think?
0: Phenomenal. I thought I I mean, and this is so good. This connects. So when I watch this movie, and maybe, maybe I am just look finding something that's not there, but to me, it was such a metaphor about how busy our lives are. And I guess for me, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I feel like I need to like jump universes. Every now and again, like I need to switch from like at home at home, Dan to school, Dan to director uh, of the school play, Dan to father, Dan, not as a priest, but as a parent. Um, And I I feel like I'm I, I don't know. I just I felt that movie very much and on top of that i just thought it was like i thought it was a really cool way like if they were actually going for something like that to use this whole like multiverse thing that that we've got going on in so many different
1: well yeah i franchises. mean i you know you are certainly not alone as being somebody who is impacted in big emotional ways by this movie i mean i feel like it's a it's definitely a contender for best picture because it really has like created a giant ripple. And, uh, you know, it is funny because it did come out at the same time as the latest, like Dr. Strange movie, which is the multiverse of madness. And it's like such a better, multiple universe movie. Well, it's, <laughs> even though the, even though multiple universes had been set up for several movies in the entire Marvel cinematic universe, this one does it in a way where it's just like, Hey, this is how it's happening. This is what's going on. And that's the information that you need to know.
0: And I thought that as, as I feel like the multiverse thing is kind of like, it's a fun gimmick for comic book fans. And I think uh, in terms of Marvel, it was done to perfection in Spider-Man No Way Home uh, yeah. with with the, um, you know, the uh, teaming. Uh, I guess we can, it's been a year. We can yeah. say it. teaming up the three. All of the Spider-Man. All the Spider-Man. I thought that was fu- I thought that in terms of like using it as a gimmick, I thought that was the best use of its gimmickry. Right. But I felt that in terms of using it to to actually mean something and connect to adults. I mean, everything everywhere is rated R um, not that that means kids won't see it, but uh, I hope it, they do. It's, it was one of those that I felt. And on top of, on top of like the fact that I was like, Oh my God, I I'm like connecting to this on a personal level. The performances are fantastic. So good. Michelle. Yao, Who I've loved since crouching tiger hidden dragon. And she's that, amazing. That was the first time I I saw her. Uh yeah. uh Ki Hai Kwan of He's course, back, baby. Oh man, hold on to here. Potatoes, it's great. He's great. Stephanie Shu, uh, who's in yeah. it, uh, is wonderful. James Hong pops up. James and Jamie Hong. and Jamie Lee freaking Curtis. Yeah. Like, I, I cannot say enough good things about this movie.
1: Yeah, no, you are not alone. It's one of those movies where it's just like how did they do this? And yes. uh, we just get to sit back and enjoy it and just be glad that it exists.
0: It's so well done. If that doesn't win, like, it, like best editing at the very least. Like, damn. Uh, I'm
1: sure it will take away some trophies.
0: Another movie that I watched that not as award worthy, but I definitely found it interesting was Don't Worry Darling.
1: Oh, yeah. I watched that also.
0: Uh, hmm i it, it it was the probably the biggest budget episode of black Mirror I've ever seen,
1: yeah it's definitely very black mirror it's you know shamalani it's
0: it's, def, it's definitely shamalani yeah. it's definitely trying to make a statement right and it, it, there's part there were things about it I appreciated, and then there were things about it that I didn't i, I there wasn't anything that I really disliked about it but i thought it was appreciate
1: that olivia wilde is taking big swings directorially and not just sticking to what she knows works for her like something like uh book smart you know this was a great great directorial debut which is so amazing and uh but and and going to something like this is is definitely a bold move uh because it really is you know, nothing like the, the last one. And, um, I don't know. I, you, it's really hard to separate this one from the hype around it and from, you know, all of the things going on
0: behind the scenes, which I, I, I got to admit, I haven't really like, I've, I've followed it enough where like, I know the basics, but I've gone like just because I didn't care. I didn't think I was going to watch it. And then it was streaming on HBO Max. And right. yeah. I was like, yeah, this is kind of the right thing that I'm going to put on right now. And I'm like, if I turn it off in five minutes, I'm not going to be heartbroken. But mm. and I was like, ah, oh, there was enough to keep me interesting. Florence Pugh, I think, always gives an interesting performance. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If it was
1: anybody other than her, I don't know if I would have liked it as much.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. It's funny because I think about, I'm like, who else could I see pulling that off? And I'm like, Naomi Watts, circa 2000.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, certainly. You know, that's Mulholland Drive era. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, 21 grams. Yeah. It was 20, yeah so yeah. I think that, um, yeah, you know, these days, I think that there's a lot of people who could pull it off, but maybe not as well as... Florence Pugh could. And you know Florence Pugh is so good at m- making you feel like something is terribly wrong while everything looks completely right. And uh, she's just the best at that. She's the go-to.
0: but I like I appreciate without and without giving, you know it, it's a it's a current movie so don't want to give too much away. but there were certain idiosyncrasies about it that tipped me off and basically said like, okay. Either there's something more to this movie than meets the eye or there, there, there were bad choices being made. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I, I will leave it at that for now, but I will say I enjoyed it. I I appreciated it a lot more than I thought it would. And it was a lot more than I thought it would be, though uh-huh. I don't know that it needed to be. OK, OK. And I also say this as, as like, you know, in, in my uh, teaching jobs, you know, teaching uh, books that are, were written in and, and set in the, the 1950s, I do a lot of, you know, pre-teaching about gender roles and what was expected of women and what was expected of men and so on and so forth. So the 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 basic premise of Don't Worry Darling, this kind of 1950s suburban 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 utopia Uh, there was something appealing to me about it. And like the idea that like, okay, there's something underneath the surface. So that was appealing to me, but I honestly didn't think I was going to uh, be, be as, as interested in it as I was.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm glad that it was something that kind of went to streaming pretty quickly uh, because it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm not going to pay for this, but I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I like movies that take place in that era. Uh, I I like something where there's a a mystique behind it. Yeah. And Florence Pugh is great. Yes. And so there is also like part of me that's like, if somebody like Florence Pugh signs on to do this movie, then I'm sure that the script is somewhat decent. Otherwise you don't get a Pugh level actor (laughs) involved
0: not no not at all not, and well and it's true cuz like you know she's on on a hot streak and yeah it would be like you know she can't afford for to do to do a i i think it's kind of, i don't i'm sure she could afford it but like to do a movie that kind of goes unnoticed or undernoticed like it almost matters more that like her name is out there and that at least like she's getting some good notices for it right than, versus the film being a smashing success. So. Right. Yeah. I think she just had to know she was going to look good coming out of it. Which, yeah, of course. Yeah. She does. Yeah. But she's great and I think Olivia Wilde, I give a lot of uh, you know, credit and respect to Olivia Wilde as a as a filmmaker. Sure.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd got you know the, the, Don't Worry Darling definitely like hit or miss, not not the overall uh, you know, g- greatness of of uh of Booksmart but a a solid second feature.
1: I think that it would have been better if it were somebody other than Harry Styles, because I feel like that, to me, seemed more like stunt casting than an actual, like, thoughtful choice. Yeah, uh,
0: it didn't need to be Harry Styles.
1: It didn't need to be Harry Styles. I feel like that took away a little bit from it, because if you look at the rest of the cast, you know, you have... Uh, Chris Pine and Nick Kroll and um, you know, there's just incredible actors in it. And uh, to have somebody who's so mega famous for being not an actor, uh, it's just like, huh.
0: There was something that I did. I I thought worked with his casting and it's not to say that somebody else couldn't have been cast, but, and it's, I I don't, again, don't want to reveal Uh, too much about the film. It's something we can talk about independently. There was one, an aspect of his casting uh, that I thought was, was done well. Okay. Not to say it had to be him, but something that casting someone like him worked for. All right. Well, so I will leave it at that. I have not yet. So it broke my heart, but I had to start watching, of course, weird, the Al Yankovic story I was and I could not watch it I I was like I am going to sit and I'm going to watch it in as thick a sitting as possible so I I've done it in thirds I'm up to the uh the final the final third I think or I might be closer to the end than that I haven't really been keeping track I've just been enjoying it
1: I've watched it twice so far and it's so good it is the only way... Dan, I thought that you picked up a candle
0: just then. <laughs> oh, I... Yes. What are you no, drinking? Uh, well, I've decided... It's a new diet I'm on. It's a wax diet. Um, <laughs> it's a hot wax diet. It helps di- digestion. Um, uh, it, but yes, no, I'm drinking melted wax out of a out of a candle. Or could it be some seasonal eggnog? Oh, interesting. Yes. Interesting.
1: So. I could have sworn that you were picking up a candle. Anyway... <laughs>
0: I'm sure I could find a scented candle that both looks and at least smells like.
1: Yeah. So 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 anyway, um, I felt like it was the the best way to do a Weird Al biopic. Yes. By making it a parody of biopics and by just taking it way over the top, putting in like a little tiny dose of the truth and then the rest of it just being absolute banana pants.
0: And obviously, uh, absolute banana pants, and and I mean, again, it's so hard to watch a parody of music biopics without uh, the kind of specter of, of Walk Hard, but
1: no, it, it stands on its own in a really amazing way.
0: Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. No, no, I'm. I that's what I was kind of saying is, it's there was one part of it that I felt was too. Too close to the walk-hard style. Okay. Yeah. And, but other than that, I thought, from what I've seen so far, at least, like, just brilliant. I love the the different twists and turns of it. Uh, Again, that I don't want to talk about specifically, but, uh, like, love the... L- love the structure of it and yeah, yeah it was it was kind of the only way to do it like how do you like how do you make a, a bio- biographical movie about Weird Al that is in the spirit of Weird Al this is it. how you do it yeah. yes yes so yeah. I'm looking forward to to uh watching and like Daniel Radcliffe Evan Rachel Wood so so great both of them and everybody else who is in it as well.
1: There's, uh, okay. Because these things take place in the beginning of the movie. All I will say is that what makes me really happy is that, uh, when you look at the performances from even the smaller characters, you know, that everybody knows what they're doing. Yes. And I will, uh, start off by talking about people in his early life, like the people that he goes to high school with who convince him to come out to a party and when it's revealed that it's a polka party, yeah, and the commitment that everybody in that room has to it being not goofy but like they're sincere about loving it, it works, and I just commend every actor who was in that room because it it was done perfectly. I loved it
0: brilliant, brilliant,
1: and Toby Huss as his father, is so good
0: uh, so so funny, yeah so funny yeah a great great movie i i mean like you just have to be a fan of comedy to enjoy it and if you're if you're a fan of weird al like we are uh you, like it's well, just got so many that treats you can, for you
1: i think that you can watch it uh without necessarily being a big weird al fan and still right. appreciate it but there are a lot of things in there where if you're like a real fan you'll notice stuff like there's there's like a an ad on a corkboard for, like, Cooney's Karate School. Yep. Uh, there's, you know, even just, like, the Scotty Brothers, the, the record label guys. Like, yes. Just knowing that he was on Scotty Brothers Records, you know, was
0: an important aspect. I mean, he was, like, the only artist on Scotty yeah. Brothers yeah. Records. I don't Pretty remember yeah. anything anything else, but, uh, yeah, Weird Al. Uh, so, def- such a funny movie, and I look forward to watching it. I look forward to finishing it and look forward to watching it again in the future. This yeah. will not be a one and only viewing. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Same can be said for everything, everywhere, all at once. Not so much for don't worry, darling. Don't, yeah. don't know that I'm going to watch it again.
1: So um, before we get to the, uh, the, the movie of the week, uh, I just wanted to shout out. I started watching the show uh, reboot on uh, that's on Hulu and Dan, it's so good.
0: It's good? It's, it's so good.
1: Out. You got to watch it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's about uh, rebooting an old, like, early 2000s sitcom with all of the same actors in it, but right. making it more of a serious tone and actually giving character development and all those kind of things. So um, it's really wonderful.
0: You know what? I, I started watching it, and then unfortunately, like, I started watching it late at night, so I fell asleep that more because I was tired was I went. watched
1: oh. it I started it last night and then I think I was like falling asleep during the last two episodes I watched so today I went back and I watched those again and I was like yep still good and uh and continued on The other but, thing that I wanted oh. to mention was uh, uh just one quick thing and then we're we're going to we're going to move along to Barefoot in the oh, Park
0: Oh before we do I want to throw oh. in another quick uh series plug Okay because uh, in, in the same vein of, of of reboots, I I watched the first episode of Wednesday on oh, Netflix. Okay, and people uh, seem
1: to like it. Yes,
0: yes, yeah. I I I enj- enjoyed it. Like I said, I was it was late, I fell asleep, but um, I enjoy it. It's interesting to see uh, Tim Burton doing a series. I think it's actually good for him. I I think it's a step in the right direction for him. Because I really feel like he has lost his direction as a filmmaker. Yeah. Really, like, since the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I feel like after Big Fish.
1: I would say Big Fish might be the last one where it's like, oh, an interesting Tim Burton movie.
0: Yeah. After Big Fish, it was all like Johnny Depp and crazy hats.
1: Yep. Pretty much. All right. Yep. Uh, But one thing I did want to mention is that uh, in the last episode, you may have heard me talking about a certain uh, game show pilot that I was on called Beat the Monkey. And uh, since then, I have uh, found one of the creators of the show uh, because on his website, he has the following information About Beat the Monkey. And this is more than I've ever seen about Beat the Monkey on the internet to date. (laughs) Can three college students beat a monkey in a game of knowledge and skill? Beat the Monkey, an offbeat game show pilot hosted by J. Keith Van Stratton, was a finalist for a season order at G4. We lost out to the game show Hurl, which featured contestants vomiting on amusement park rides. So that gives me way more information than I had before about like the fate of that show that it was just passed over for something that was about people barfing <laughs> on roller coasters. And so uh, that's pretty hilarious and that's an interesting thing. And then I got in touch with the guy, the, the creator and he sent me a link to watch a sizzle reel for the show. And it's not something I can share out, unfortunately, but wow, it's I, yes, I did share it with Dan. Yes. More
0: like a sizzle surreal. Oh, very good. Very good.
1: Um, and so there were certain things about it that were different from the way that I remembered them. I remembered the other guy's name also being John, but I guess it was like Matt. And, and that was very puzzling for me because I was like, why would I remember that so wrong? That felt like such an odd detail to then be wrong. And um, the woman's name was Camilla, who was the female contestant uh, who who was with us. But everything else was pretty much the same. You know, it was uh, it it was it was wild to see, you know, this many years later. Pretty wild. Kind of
0: nice confirmation that it actually happened.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I wanted to do is note that early earlier in this episode I mentioned the movie Heartburn uh which I would love to cover on the show sometime uh but Heartburn was directed by Mike Nichols mm-hmm. who directed the stage uh the 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 play Barefoot in the Park in the uh in the earlier 60s and uh what a lovely way to to bring us into uh the film, the 1967 film, you know, coming off of a very successful Broadway ru- Broadway run, a Neil Simon play directed by Mike Nichols to to wide acclaim. Robert Redford was was in it when it's when it was in its theatrical run, and uh, yeah, and here we are to talk about its adaptation to film. Dan, was this your first time watching Barefoot in the Park?
0: It sure was, John. Uh... It sure was my first time, though it felt very familiar. Uh, probably because I've seen Dharma and Greg. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, yeah. Uh,
0: barefoot in the park. Okay, yes. do, so, okay. Do yeah. you want to hear
1: my uh, my do, my synopsis? Is two sentences long.
0: Do the synopsis. There we go.
1: Geeky Paul and free spirit Corey are my, are madly in love and can't get enough of each other during their six night honeymoon. But once real life begins for these newlyweds and their differences begin to show, hard decisions have to be made. That's all I got.
0: Uh, that's really what it I mean it's a it's a pretty light <laughs> yeah, comedy.
1: Yes, and and the the movie definitely acts like it's a play you know, you have very few, uh, set pieces. A lot of things happened, you know, are very dialogue based. There's not a lot that happens that doesn't have to do with dialogue. You get your kooky characters, you know, it's definitely got that, the life of like a Broadway
0: comedy. A Neil Simon. A Neil Simon. The same, it's the same rhythms. Uh, This the same type of like, you know, character juxtapositions and uh, like I feel like, you know, it's when you're when you've read a lot of Neil Simon, watched a lot of Neil Simon. And I I do really enjoy a lot of Neil Simon's work. Yeah, but there's there's definitely a a rhythm and a certain and a very specific sense of humor to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And. You know, okay, so Robert Redford plays Paul, Jane Fonda plays Corey, and this is, you know, one of the, I think, five films they did together, and they have such great chemistry. Like, there's, it's no surprise that they continue to do work together. Uh, They're so delightful together, and, you know, it's funny because these are two people who are still around and uh, still acting, and still really attractive <laughs> like yeah. you think that you think that in 1967 you'd have these two hot actors and be like wow they're very attractive well <laughs> see what i'm sure in time they won't be that attractive no they're still very attractive
0: yeah no nope. uh, jane fonda and robert redford have taken good care of themselves and yeah still still with us still working though i, I think Ro- robert redford said old man and the gun was going to be his last Oh really? His last one, so but I mean that also was what two years ago, right? So yeah,
1: I I consider him still, you still know, active. pretty pretty active because we'll see. Uh, and Jane Fonda clearly is still uh, G- Frank Grace and Frankie ing it up,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and are they doing like a book club sequel or something?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> probably.
0: But the cast also includes uh uh charles boyer who we last encountered in gaslight
1: we sure did and yeah. it was really wonderful to see him in a role that was kooky and fun yes because man oh man did i hate <laughs> he's, charles boyer the piece he's of terrible
0: garden. in gaslight he's a, oh my God, no, he's he's a great is, acting but terrible it's, it's the person. character
1: that coined the term you know that like, the original gaslighter yeah, the original gaslighter yeah the og no kidding, you can't
0: take that away from Charles Boyer. No. And yeah, you He's have, definitely um, an OG in this.
1: Yeah, you've got Mildred Natwick, uh, who plays Ethel, who's so good.
0: Academy Award nominated for her performance. Yeah,
1: I know. Uh, absolutely amazing. And um
0: Let's I not. I mean
1: I have to give a a major shout out to uh Yes to, to Stanley Sbornak himself. Yes. <laughs> uh who who absolutely Herb Edelman who uh, who's the the telephone repairman and man, oh man, is it nice to see him?
0: He's, and he was a Neil Simon regular. He was also in the odd couple. Oh, okay. I mean, and possibly other things. I think to be a regular, you need to have done like more than two. Herbert, Herbert Edelman definitely has a very Neil Simon. Like cadence. Yes. Yeah. He's perfect for the, you know, the Neil Simon, uh, sarcasm, uh, You know, where it's like after he walks up this, you know, fifth floor walk up and this isn't an exact line from it, but it's a Neil Simon scenario where he's dripping sweat. And like, you know, Jane Fonda would offer him a a glass of water and, uh, uh, you know, after like 10 minutes and then and be like, that's all right. Just give me a glass and I'll catch the sweat dripping from my forehead. And God. that's a i mean that's a neil simon that's that's what you'd find and that's basically his his role you know it's funny
1: because now when i think neil simon i picture um oh uh nate Cordry. cuz he played him in fossy verdon oh right yeah. yeah so like i picture nate Cordry as neil simon <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah you if you've listened to us a year or so ago, we talked a lot about Fosse Verdon, that's for sure.
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> One, wonderful series. Recommend. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, this this movie, it was my first time seeing it as well. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I kind of just... I enjoyed the pace of it. I enjoyed seeing the way that it was presented. Uh, you know, 1967, that's definitely a year where... Or at least an era where, yes, you still have some of these movies that feel like this I don't know, um, I'm like xylophone playing in the background yeah. and antics and farcical stuff, you know, but you also certainly have a lot of more serious, intense movies going on. It's certainly a fraught time in the country, and uh, that's being reflected in the art. But you also have movies like this where it's just about a simple relationship where it's like, can these two wildly different people, you know, make it in their marriage? And what does that look like? And, you know, it's just it's a simple story, but it's really just, you know, it hinges on the performances because it's just so it's such a it's such a verbal piece.
0: Yeah, it, it really does. The premise itself is, at least from a contemporary perspective, it, it's a bit shaky because I feel like, you know, modern day, you're looking at these two people and, and you're like, they seem to know very little about each other to be getting married. Right. Again, that's from a modern day perspective where it's, where it's, you know, socially, not just acceptable, but expected to, you know, that you live with a partner before right moving in together.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, this was a time when, you know, a lot of people were getting married after knowing each other for not that long. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, that certainly still happens these days, but right. then it was more of the norm and, uh, Yeah. So I don't think that you could really do something that takes place present day like this without addressing how quick it was and, you know, them not living together before or at least cohabitating a little bit in some way. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a funky one there.
0: Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. And I I guess, you know, I I don't know before we we get to the and uh, before we get to the section uh, of of the episode where we talk about what what we would potentially do to bring it back. Right. I I don't know that there's much more to say about the film itself. It's a pretty by I mean, it was a huge hit um, played at Radio City Music Hall for like an unprecedented 12 weeks straight. Oh, wow uh back in in 67 and and by the way when we're talking about the films of 1967 just to kind of illustrate John your your point about yeah. the very different types of films coming out at that time I'm looking at just like a list of uh it's movies uh top 50 films of 1967 <laughs> and it's The Graduate Bonnie and Clyde Cool Hand Luke yeah. are up there uh you know, point blank with Lee Marvin, uh the producers, the dirty dozen. So you know, yeah, we're definitely at this moment in in American cinema where uh you know filmmakers are taking bigger taking big swings to go back to uh Olivia Wilde.
1: Yeah, well it's kind of funny because you mentioned the graduate directed by Mike Nichols, yes. who you've mentioned already before, uh, who was the one that brought this to Broadway. So Uh, you know, somebody like Mike Nichols is kind of going from doing this on Broadway to, you know, making these movies that have depth to them, that have meaning. And it isn't just set pieces for silly jokes. And, um, you know, it's it's a much more adult theme as well uh, in The Graduate. And, uh, you know, here, I don't know, you've got a pretty normal couple well i mean an abnormal normal couple uh and then you have like the zany neighbor and then the you know the the mother who just is is really there to create stakes and i don't know yeah,
0: uh, yeah. stakes and and tension uh you know they- tension
1: yes but it's it's not really tension that we typically are seeing because Paul gets along with her really well, and I uh, uh, the tension is really in the in the point where she's like maybe missing you know where she didn't get home well like, you know that's not really not really you know high stakes tension
0: right right no but it's it's the the tension of you know the mother is is widowed and Corey really wants her to to start dating again and wants her to, to, you know, get involved with somebody who turns out, you know, and turns out that, you know, with, with the neighbor, um, Victor Velasco. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's so that that's, but that's the amount of tension they have in this movie or like just the tension between, uh, Paul being, you know, very well uptight but also you know ambitious, hardworking lawyer, and uh and Corey being, I don't know, for lack of a nicer word, a kind of you know flibberty Uh <laughs> Oh Dan,
1: you're terrible. Uh, I,
0: I said I wouldn't use the f word, but here I go again. <laughs> you
1: know, I she's playing into the like the housewife role but in in a way that w- makes sense for who she is as a person you know she gets uh she cares a lot about home decor and tries to get things dialed in and work with what she's got and she doesn't let the inconveniences weigh her down such as having to climb all the steps and all that kind of stuff she's really looking at the bright side of things mm-hmm. you know the bedroom is too small for a bed even but it's okay. They're going to make it work. They're going to figure it out. There's a hole in the skylight. Oh, to have a skylight. And, uh, (laughs) and you know, it's not something that she really even stresses over or like the heater won't turn on or the heater won't work. And she's, you know, just doing her best to make it seem fine. All positivity.
0: Paul. Yeah. Yes. Which is great. It, it's great. It's a it's a great it's a it's this great, you know, contradictions, you know, uh, which I mean, th- that's what works. I think, you know, for a lot of a lot of Neil Simon just taking like really contrasting personalities and putting them together. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, comedy, a comedy in in general. I mean, it's also like, look at the odd couple. <laughs> yeah. Which is I mean, it's like the same thing. It's not the same thing, but it's similar. How are these two people going to coexist? You know,
1: Dan, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the odd couple because there was something that this movie reminded me of that uh, ties in nicely with the odd couple. Um, The apartment building itself, did it feel familiar to you? And I'm talking about like the hallways and stuff.
0: Well, okay, what felt familiar about it was it reminded me of an apartment that we that I lived in on the upper west. Oh, okay. Side. Okay. You
1: were you were just like, dancing around what I was talking about. It reminded me of the building from the apartment.
0: Oh, from the apartment. It like okay. the
1: layout of like the the apartment doors and the stairs. And right. all I was thinking is just like Oh inside there he's making spaghetti with a tennis racket. Like right. you know like that's just happening on another floor of this of the same building.
0: A very yeah I I you know I I, I didn't I guess what's funny is I didn't I that had not occurred to me I think mostly because of the, they mention where the apartment building is and I, remember, I know it's
1: different locations. Well I remember yeah. his was
0: like off Central Park Westers and like it was like ridiculously like how is he how does he afford this place and then it's oh it's 1960. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, and this one's by Washington Square Park.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. Um which ma- makes definitely makes a lot more sense and you know it's a fun it's a fun setting and uh, yeah, Redford and like all the performances are great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's really cute. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right. So I it's it's the one for me where it's like now knowing what this movie is I will happily put this on if I just want to put something nice on in the background or whatever, if I'm doing something else, like it's nice to know what it is and that it's around. And, uh, and, you know, like Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, you know, I could watch them do almost anything. So why not watch them do this?
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, is there any reason (laughs) to, to, do anything more with it? Like you said before, Jane and Robert Redford, still around. Are you thinking? Yeah,
1: sequel? I I mean, well, certainly it would be fun to have a, you know, uh, how many years is it later? 50 years later, like uh, barefoot in the park. Um,
0: I mean, 55, Jesus, 60
1: years later. Oh, my God. 55 yeah, years. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd want to see something where it's necessarily the two of them, unless it was some sort of like uh, looking back oh. on their, you know, on their work on their work together combined as a duo, um, and, and really, you know, shining a light on Barefoot in the Park, or if it's a matter of doing something now set in the mid '60s uh, that takes the Barefoot in the Park script and 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 the the whole plot and builds it up a little bit more gives it a, little, a little bit more weight you know maybe adds a couple things here and there show him in the courtroom you know do something more with it so I think that there's a, a possibility to remake this keeping it still set in the mid 60s and uh, finding ways to uh, I don't know enhance it using what you've got because I think that you know, the the questions about, you know, from Jane Fonda about, like, is this marriage right? Are they—should they be together even? Like, you know, days after they get married, essentially, uh, I think that there's way more to look into it rather than her making, you know— last you know in the moment decisions to 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 say something so you know we don't see her we don't see any friends it's just her mom like it would be great to be able to see other characters and i feel like you know when we have movies now like and we've had that for a long time but like when harry met sally you know where it it goes into relationships in a much greater way you know maybe there is a pathway where this uh the script can be just kind of beefed up a little bit to to give a little bit i don't know make it feel a little bit more interesting
0: like we'll add like tony kushner take a swing at it add, add some depth sure uh i he was like he's the most i i in trying to think of a of a name screenwriter uh and playwright who could like take this and actually do something. That was just the first name that popped into my head was Tony Kushner. And I, I, at first I thought I was like, Oh man, we should just have Jane Fonda and Robert Redford do a straight up remake of this. Okay. Shot for shot, shot for shot. Remake have Redford and Fonda do the remake in the same roles, make no comment at all about the fact that they're both very old. Yeah. Yeah. And, I don't know, have the mother played by, like, Anne Hathaway or something. And <laughs> just, like, totally flip-flopping around. Um, That'd be super funny. Yeah, so... I, Victor
1: Velasco could be played by, like, Jacob Tremblay.
0: <laughs> I was going to say Harry Styles, but then... Uh, I no, about. I say no. go even younger. Go younger. <laughs> go, go, go yeah, all right. Jacob Tremblay, It it is definitely... <laughs> um, Gaden Matarazzo as... Oh, no, 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 no. Victor Velasco. No, I, I, get those Stranger Kids things and something there. Uh Yeah, I, there's that, there's the idea, like, like you mentioned, the whole kind of almost like existential questioning of, of this marriage, like right afterwards. And it reminded me... It reminded me of of and and I'm going to get a little personal here and and reveal something Um, like. I think it was the day after my son Simon was born last April and I had. So for those of you not in the know, um, have a daughter who's eight and a half, Chloe, and a son who's just about eight months Simon. And it was like the day after he was born. And I just had this, like, I I had that moment and I had that moment of like, Oh God, what did we do? I was like, things were like, we were fine. And (laughs) like, and, and it was like, Oh no, like we made this, like, this is not a, I mean, yeah. And that's definitely not a like, you know, we're not, no taking that back. Um, right. oh yeah, yeah and, and not that I wanted it was this was like maybe an an hour long <laughs> like thing where I was just like, oh my God um, yeah. but just the idea of of that and maybe going in a more just a not just taking the Neil Simon script and adding. Some stuff that I imagine in, in your vision where, you know, a, another screenwriter uh, supplements, is it is it keeping the same like cadences? Is it keeping the same? I think so. Humor. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking like, what if it didn't? Okay. And what if you. And now, especially after. uh I'm trying to remember what else we had uh, talked about earlier. Oh, it was with the show Reboot that you were talking about where they yeah. take like a more serious approach to it. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Like, what if you do that with Barefoot in the Park? And and I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a need for that because I think there are plenty of other movies and shows out there that do that. But... I don't know what if I, I I just, I wonder if that's how it works now. Like, yeah, does this, I just don't, I I was, I watched it and I was like, this is adorable and it's cute, but I don't think this works now. There was a Broadway revival in, in 2006, Uh but I, 2000, even the difference between the way that we look at things from 2006 to now is is very different and i feel like you can't watch something like this without thinking about like you know her trying to be like the perfect housewife yeah and how he's the the breadwinner and and he's and the mother-in-law's got to find a man and I know yeah there's all that yeah there's all that that's with that that's part of it which i think like your idea of adding some depth to it could potentially justify those
1: sure because i think that there's also a really great case for adding in scenes where Maybe each of them is talking to a different friend. Maybe for Paul, it's one of his, you know, you know, colleagues at the at the law firm or something. Um, And then maybe for Jane, it's, you know, a friend that she knows who's maybe been married a little bit longer and maybe or maybe who isn't married. And maybe it's a gig of Catherine O'Hara in the paper. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's totally Catherine O'Hara in the paper. So I'm thinking about like I. conversations that they could have where it's just like you know you don't have to do it like this right it's the 60s things are changing like you know I uh, you know we're, we're really in this time where women's liberation is starting to really bubble up and uh, that could be something that like really shakes her and maybe gives Corey a a, more of a reason to want to dissolve the marriage where it's like, you know what, maybe, maybe you are too different. And maybe that's, that's not where I should be right now because I, I'm still figuring out who I am and, uh, you know, really asking those questions. And then um, I think that what's really sweet about the movie is that, you know, she lists, as a reason why you know they're not right for each other is be, one reason is because he won't go barefoot in the park with her and you know at the end he does and and it's this symbolic gesture of like his way of changing and and really becoming you know showing that he is the the right partner for her mm. and um i think that It would make that moment even stronger if there's uh, greater reasons for uh, for it to be happening rather than just like, hey, dude, you got to cut loose a little bit. Like there's there's greater things going on.
0: I mean, maybe she needs like another not not another love interest, but I don't. Actually, no, that's not the right answer. But, you know, as you're talking about it and I'm thinking about, yeah, OK, it's the 60s and the times are, they are changing and like they live in Greenwich Village. So part of me wonders, like, OK, well, like, I don't think Neil Simon meant it this way, but like are Paul and Corey metaphors for like the two Kind of sides at, at war culturally in the 1960s which i yeah. i don't think so the play was written i mean the play premiered on broadway in 63 and yeah yeah so i feel like if that was done intentionally yeah. Yeah, that could i don't think it was but well could dan be. here's also
1: something that's interesting is like uh, you know i don't know the specifics i'm sure that there were some protests in 1967 Right outside their window. Right. You know, I'm sure that they uh, Even if you played everything else exactly the same, but included some shots of what was going on outside of the apartment, then it could change the way that the entire movie is framed. In, in Washington
0: like, Square Park. Like. In
1: Washington Square Park in 1967, there were certainly protests going on. Like, without a doubt. And so, uh, I mean... War in Vietnam. There's so many things that could possibly be, you know, protested then. Are you finding anything about specifically Washington Square Park in 1967?
0: I mean, I don't know if this is Washington, but there was a New York City riot and there were lots of riots apparently in the summer of 1967.
1: Well, this is the winter of 1967 or 1966,
0: 1967. Okay, So maybe not those riots and i don't think any of these happen in the village but uh yeah i mean it's a couple of years before stonewall right yeah so there's definitely, th- look there's there's unrest certainly so
1: well another thing is like you know what if ethel the mother ends up you know uh, i you know is you know, Corey's trying to set her up with Victor Velasco, but, you know, Ethel find you know, comes onto him and finds out that he's gay. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a joke. It's a joke. It's a comment that's played for comedy about how there's a same-sex couple living in the building. Right. And it's played to be as kind of like a check out the wackos in one C kind of a thing. And uh, certainly in any, modern uh telling of the story that line has certainly changed but um you know that could be another thing where it's just like you know maybe ethel and victor's relationship and the way that they you know if he is gay you know how that conversation could lead to like you know it's like well why are you in such a desperate need to find a person right now anyway like yeah you know Who Like, what are you about? Like, what is Ethel about?
0: Yeah. I mean, getting into the whole, like, you know, how long has she been married? Right. Which is and it connects actually to uh, the play that I recently directed uh, because it's called uh, originally called The Curious Savage. And it's about a character named Ethel P Savage who her husband dies after they've been married. She marries, she said she married him when she was 16. And, uh, so she's like married to him for, I don't know, a good like 40 to 50 years. And then, uh, after he dies, she, she kind of just like, she, takes a lot of the money that because he was very wealthy, their family was very wealthy and she uses it to make people happy. And it's this whole kindness fund. And she's very much about being independent and doing what the whole premise is that her uh, three kids who are actually her stepchildren. um, Right. Like have her committed so that they can get control of the estate before they learn that she's already sold everything off. Gotcha. Anyway, it it makes me think of that because it makes me think of like the she has a moment where she's like look while I was married I did everything for my husband and I lived yeah. I took care of him and I enjoyed it and that was what I wanted to do but now I want to do other things. Yeah. And see the world. So having Victor be the one to say like you you were with someone for all this time you know what's the what's the pressure? What's the rush? Right. Yeah enjoy being, like, he's like, I enjoy being, being me. I you know, yeah. I could see him giving the kind of speech where, where, it, where it's like, if I wind up with someone for a night, great. If I wind up with them for two nights, great. If I never see them again, great.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a gad about, he's yeah. just somebody who, uh, um, you know, just lives their life and, uh, you know, has like samples of, all of the, the things that life has to offer.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a, a good idea. I like that, uh, you know, doing, doing more with it. I definitely don't think this is something that you could just kind of remake or bring into the, like, modern day.
1: Unless, hear me out, Dan.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm wondering what you're going to say because I was thinking something earlier, but.
1: Unless... Every, unless this has a M Night Shyamalan Olivia Wilde Black Mirror twist to it, where where Paul and Corey are living their lives. It's 1967 New York. They're having this you know this whole thing going on. You see it all just in the apartment, which I believe in the play, it really just all takes place in the apartment. And but at the end, you look out. It's 2022, baby. The whole world has changed around them and they've been living in this this endless cycle of, uh, you know, figuring out what they're supposed to do with their marriage in 1967.
0: Like just that building? Time it does just, not pass?
1: Or just that that apartment, that apartment unit or something. Something
0: to do with the hole in the skylight. It's the
1: hole in the skylight, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I thought you were gonna go with the what if you what if it was remade and set in a culture with arranged marriages?
1: Huh. Well, but in cultures with arranged marriages, you know, divorce is very different. Um, I don't
0: know the specifics, but so, so is marriage. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, but uh, no, I was I'm just like, huh, like how could that work in? 2022 and that would make the most sense to me. It would be probably, you know, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that that's all I got for, for barefoot in the park. Pleasant. Not, not my favorite, not my favorite of the, of the Redfords that we've enjoyed thus far.
1: Well, Dan, I think that we're going to enjoy the next one. Do you want to tell everyone what we're going to be doing?
0: God, I know for a fact we're going to enjoy the next one because it is among my favorites it is, and it's the 30th anniversary uh, that we just passed this past September of 1992's Sneakers, yeah. directed by Phil Alden Robinson, uh, starring, of course, Mr. Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, Mary McDonnell, River Dan Phoenix, Akroyd. Dan Aykroyd, David Strathairn, Ben Kingsley, Timothy Busfield. Who am I missing?
1: Timothy Busfield, my my favorite uh, George Glass name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: The actual, real Timothy Busfield of (laughs) 30-something.
1: Yeah, Timothy Busfield's come up on this podcast so many times recently, in the past, like,
0: three episodes. (laughs) And I don't know that we've ever before covered anything that he's been in. This might be the first No, because
1: I... Oh, Revenge of the Nerds. (laughs) Revenge of the Nerds, yeah. Uh, So, uh, Timothy Busfield... You know, when we were doing The Natural, I watched uh, Field of Dreams, which he is in. Uh, there was something else that he popped up in that uh, wasn't something that we were covering directly, but like was on the outskirts of it. I don't remember what it was,
0: but Timothy Busfield. Yeah, Timothy Busfield. Anyway, Sneakers, such a fun movie. I'm I'm so excited to it. I always love an ex- a good excuse to watch Sneakers. So, looking forward to watching. It's great. It and, I don't think it's
1: on it. any of the streaming services right now, but uh, hopefully it'll be uh, accessible from a library or something like that.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. It, it should be.
1: Yeah. Well, if anybody has any thoughts on Barefoot in the Park or any other, other movie that we've talked about in the past, or perhaps sneakers, uh, feel free to reach out. ruinedchildhoodspodcast at gmail.com and um or is it ruin childhood's at gmail.com ruin childhood's
0: uh, pod at gmail.com
1: gmail. I think we have both but we only check one uh ruin ruin at gmail.com we also yeah. have a link tree with all of our other stuff in there the holidays are coming around we got our merch on our tea public site oh, and yeah. uh yeah Dan I'm I'm so excited that we are we're back in the back in the recording studio back, or the recording baby. studios uh, as it may be. And, um, yeah, well, uh,
0: as We're you back. are We're run- bad, he's in a shack. I'm mad. Sorry. Paraphrasing <laughs> lethal weapon too, without being uh, offensive.
1: <laughs> well, as you run barefoot in the park, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.